Well, good morning, everyone. I always look forward to being in worship with you and sharing a message from God's Word. I hope that this message today will help strengthen you in your daily walk of faith with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the eye in your pride. Now, there are two types of pride in the Bible. There is a healthy pride, and there is the sinful eye in your pride. A healthy pride is one that builds in you assurance and boldness and confidence and humility, wisdom, strength in the Lord. Uh, an unhealthy one is one that does just the opposite. A healthy pride is one that makes you see the strength that's in other people, and you want to build your life around them. You don't work against them, you work with them and you play with them well, because you want to build into their life assurance and boldness and confidence and humility and knowledge and strength. And this is what God calls us to do. The sin of the eye in your pride is self-exalting. <clears throat> it is self-centered. The eye in your pride brags and exaggerates. The eye in your pride takes credit for everything. I'm going to make a reference to a very old comedian, Charlie Chaplin, who was a famous wealthy comedian, director, and actor in his day. One time, uh, Charlie Chaplin was asked, what makes all your movies so successful? I want you to listen to the eye in his pride. He said, my movies are so successful because of my name, my fame, my wealth, my direction, and my brilliance. Well, that's an eye and a pride, isn't it? But you know, pride is not just for those that are wealthy and famous. Pride is a universal problem, isn't it? It's something that we all suffer from, from one degree to another. The, the eye in your pride takes on many shapes and forms. Uh, the widespread and chronic preoccupation with self in our American culture is the example of what pride can do to us. Pride is probably the basic root of many of your personal problems. Psychologists tell us that the neurotic lives a life to the extreme of self-centeredness. The neurotic is also miserable because of their preoccupation with their own self. Uh, the very nature of a neurotic disorder is tied into pride. The interesting thing about pride is that we can often see it in other people. We can spot it immediately, can't we? But how hard it is to see it in our own life. And so we're around pride all the time and our own pride and others around us that we just kind of take that for granted, that that's something you've got to deal with every day. But I think we need to remind ourselves about what God says about pride in Proverbs 8.13. It reveals the attitude that God has towards pride. What does God view pride? What does it say about it? What's his attitude? He does what? He hates pride, doesn't he? He hates arrogance. And if that eye in your pride is beginning to exalt itself, you're putting a target on your back and inviting God to aim at it, and he will. God hates pride and arrogance, whether it's in his angels or demons or in believers or unbelievers. If you're going to reach the highest potential that God has for you, you're going to have to learn to renounce the eye in your pride and humble yourselves before God. In this lesson today, I hope to share with you some practical applications from the scriptures that will help you in this. God wants to bless you and bring favor to your life. And he can only do that if you will humble yourself before him and humbly treat others the way that God wants you to treat them as well. 
So let's begin with a prayer. Uh, dear God, with our hearts, our heads bowed and our hearts open, we ask that your word will provide guidance and comfort and conviction and encouragement for us today. As we're talking about pride today, keep our hearts humble before you. Keep our minds open to your wonderful promises. Keep our spirit hungry to know, obey, speak, and to put into practice your word. Father, teach us to humble ourselves and swallow our pride to do what is right, even at times when it doesn't seem fair. To forgive those who even don't want our forgiveness. To treat others the way that you want us to treat them. To keep us from our pride that tries to get even, to get back to even the score. Help us to overlook the insults, not to be too demanding on others, or to be too proud to admit when we're wrong. Teach us the strength and the humility of grace. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about the I and the pride. A healthy pride is, a, is, is assurance and its boldness and its confidence, its humility, its knowledge and strength. And yet, on the other hand, you have this I and the pride sin, don't you? Of arrogance and haughtiness and impertinence and demanding your own way and bulliness and thoughtlessness. So we're always fighting against that. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis spends a great deal of time upon pride. I've posted for you a few of the excerpts from his book, and I think you'll find these to be quite useful. I'm going to read them to you about what pride does to us. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to other vices. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Those are just a few. You might want to read the rest of mere Christianity to see the rest, but it makes the point, doesn't it? The depth of pride can vary from one person to another. The eye in your pride can be obvious or it can be hidden, but God opposes the proud. He hates the, he hates the arrogance of pride. In Peter's letter, his first letter, verses 5 through 6, he puts together why God opposes the proud. And then he also gives us the remedy to pride, and that is humility. Uh, Peter writes, you should all have a humble attitude in dealing with each other. God is against the proud, but he is kind to the humble. So be humble under God's powerful hand. Pride keeps you from having the right perspective about God. And it has a profound negative impact on how you treat other people. The eye in your pride will cause you to only see things your way, from your perspective, how it affects you. I'm not going to do that. What's in it for me? I'm not going to be kind to that person after what they said about me personally and how they treated my family. They don't deserve that kindness from me. There are times when God will ask a few things that are very hard to you to do. And the eye in your pride will rise up and give you all kinds of excuses 
as to why you should get even, why you don't have to forgive somebody, why you can hold that grudge, why you don't have to respect that person, why you don't have to listen to their opinion, why they don't really matter in your life, why you can write them off. You have to some way or another renounce the I in your pride and say, no, I am not going to let that offense insult me. I'm not going to bring it down into my heart and be bitter about it. I'm not going to be demanding my own way every single time. I'm not going to be full of pride. No, when I, had, when I do something wrong, I'm going to admit that I was wrong, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. You see, the eye on your pride makes you think you know everything, which means you can't learn anything. The eye on your pride makes you think that no one else has the same strengths that you have, and so therefore, you remain weak. The eye on your pride makes you toot your own horn. And you become a very accomplished musician in tooting your own horn. And in tooting your own horn, you think you're making beautiful music, but you're not. It's a horrible sound that annoys other people. When you toot your own horn, you're usually exaggerating about your talents, how smart you are, and what you're achieving. It's a horrible sound to other people. When you toot your own horn, you're thinking you're making a beautiful music that everyone loves to hear, but they don't. They want to have earplugs. The great danger in the eye of your pride, though, is really the loss of hearing and vision. In Matthew, Jesus talks about to his disciples why certain people can never understand his parables. He explains to his disciples why certain people can hear such a simple story but they can't get the point. And what he says is, seeing they do not perceive, hearing they do not listen, neither do they understand. The lack of perception, listening, and understanding is a dangerous consequence of pride. Because of your pride, you can't understand what God has in store for you. Because of your pride, you will stubbornly keep on going in the direction that's further away from God and further removed from what God wants you to receive from Him. The heartache we experience when someone we love stubbornly and full of pride refuses to listen and understand the godly counsel we're giving them. The sorrow we experience as a church family when one of our church family members stubbornly and full of pride, refuses to repent and cannot perceive that they are headed for further destruction. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the humility of Jesus. He speaks a lot about pride. He speaks a lot about humility. Your perspective and mine would change radically if we would just follow the example of Jesus and his humility it's the greatest example of humility in the history of the world, isn't it? By his very act of leaving heaven and be taken on the form of man, he did the greatest, he demonstrated the greatest act of humility ever in the history of the world, didn't he? One time in his ministry, he demonstrated the spirit of humility when he said, I came to this world not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. On the eve of his cross, he takes a towel. 
and a basin of water and in humility washes his disciples' feet. In the good news message of the gospel, Jesus gives this powerful story of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector to demonstrate the importance of humility, the strength of humility over pride. The Pharisee and the tax collector go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee lifts up his eyes before God in the temple and he brags about his life, doesn't he? He tells God that he's carefully observed all the law while at the same time he scornfully looks in disgust at the tax collector who's praying next to him. And then the Pharisee says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. I'm glad I'm not an extortioner. I'm glad I'm not unjust. I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. His whole prayer, his whole focus was on the idea of measuring and evaluating himself by comparing himself to that tax collector. The whole aspect of his prayer was how good he is in comparison to how bad other people are. That's an eye in pride, isn't it? The tax collector, on the other hand, is so painfully aware of his sins that he won't even lift his eyes up to heaven, will he? He's so mindful that he needs to repent that he just pounds on his chest and in a desperate plea, he cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, God answered the tax collector's prayer. You know why? Because the tax collector's focus was on his humility. He humbled himself before God, and God honored that humility. The Pharisee focused on how much better he was than the tax collector that was there. So in Matthew, Jesus sums up this story by stating, whoever exalts himself will be what? Humble. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The trap of the eye in your pride is measuring and evaluating your life based upon your neighbors, your friends, and the people around you. Well, compared to them, I'm living a better life. Compared to them, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. The danger of comparing yourself to someone else and measuring yourself by someone else is that you're falling into that hole of destruction. Paul warns us in Romans and Galatians not to do this. He says, don't think you're better than you really are. See yourself just as you are. What does he mean by that? He means stop pretending to be someone else. He means don't let your pride get in the way and you develop this whole different persona that's not really you. Stop pretending to be something else because if you don't, you're going to fall into this big old hole of destruction. Uh, maybe you're pretending to be someone else because you're afraid that your friends won't accept the real you. Maybe you have this persona at work. This, this persona you put on, this uh, pretend self, because you're afraid that people won't accept the real you and your ideas and opinions. They won't, they won't value you. Maybe you lack confidence. Maybe you're afraid. But whatever it is, when you find yourself losing your real you and pretending to be something you're not, Paul says, if you think you're something that you're not, you're going to deceive yourself. It's a deception. It's going to catch up with you. It's not going to be fulfilling. I want you to read Proverbs 15, 33, and here's what it says. Wisdom teaches you to respect the Lord. You must be humble before you can be honored. You don't have to be full of pretension. You don't have to be someone else to your friends and someone else at work and someone else at church. 
You honor the Lord. You respect the Lord. You put him first. You humble yourself before him, and he's going to honor you. And he's going to lift you up. And he's going to give you the assurance and boldness and confidence and humility and knowledge and strength that you need for the real you. Did you know what the Bible teaches that the devil is full of pride? The devil is full of pride. When Paul was writing Timothy, Timothy was dealing with a bunch of arrogant, full of pride Christians in Ephesus. And Paul said, you tell those Christians, Timothy, if they keep acting that conceited, that they're going to face the same judgment and condemnation that the devil does for his, his, his pride. You know, that's kind of scary, isn't it? To think that if I'm conceited and I'm full of that, that I'm going to experience the same judgment that the devil experiences. The devil's full of pride, and he knows how to appeal successfully to the eye in your pride, doesn't he? He really does. I mean, the devil was able to bring down Nebuchadnezzar because of pride. He brought down Haman and many, many others in the Bible. Uh, you're no match for him either. He knows how to successfully appeal to the eye in your pride. According to Isaiah 14, the devil is so full of pride that he actually was in heaven before God and the heavenly creatures. And he says, I'm going to overthrow heaven and I'm going to be greater than the God most high. <clears throat> of course, that's what pride does, right? <laughs> it exaggerates and makes you feel that you're a lot more important and powerful than you really, than you really are, right? You know what God did? God hates arrogance. God hates the pride. So he cast the devil out of heaven and reserved for him a final judgment. Yet the devil, full of pride, was able to appeal to the eye of pride in the angels. And a third of the angels also followed after the devil. And God, because he hates pride and arrogance, cast them out and reserved them for the final judgment. It's, it's what God does. How strong and fierce is that pride? Pride can turn angels into demons. He can successfully appeal to your pride. Pride is probably at the root of most of your sins, isn't it? When out of pride you won't admit you're wrong, when you forget, fail to forgive somebody else, when you refuse to repent, the devil has successfully appealed to the eye in your pride and has filled you with that pride. When you exaggerate, when you distort the truth, when you refuse to listen to godly counsel, the devil has successfully appealed to the eye in your pride. The devil is full of pride, and he wants to fill you with pride. But I want you to remember something. You're a child of God. You're not supposed to be full of pride. You're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen? So get rid of the pride and fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 16, 18 tells you that pride is the first step towards destruction. Proud thoughts will lead to defeat. Well, I think I've given you enough scripture about what pride does. So let's go to the remedy, all right? And let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5-6 through 6, where it talks about pride. And the remedy to that is humility. <clears throat> humility. God opposes the proud. To the humble, he is kind. Humble yourself under God's powerful hand. You should have a humble attitude in dealing with others. Pride, your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. Humility brings the blessings, the favor, the kindness, the strength, and the wisdom of God into your life. It's so beautiful. I, I always take heart 
and uh, encouragement from Paul's life. Paul's a very humble person, isn't he? In his humility, he writes Philippians chapter 3. And there he writes, I do not count myself to have attained, but this one thing I do, forgetting these things which are behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Now here is Paul, so accomplished in all the things that he accomplished in the church of God, who never loses his humility. When he talks about the things that he's accomplished in all the churches that he's planted, he does it with great humility. He tells us in humility that he's the greatest and chiefest sinner of all, doesn't he? And yet Jesus Christ saved him. Christ saved him, he can save you. That's what Paul's theme is all along. Paul also talks about the idea that, look, I have not arrived, I've not made it yet. I'm still working towards it. I'm still in humility going forward. The past is the past. Today is today. Tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to keep marching forward to that gold of my heavenly home with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that great comfort to you as well? That we keep on moving forward. What you did yesterday, it's yesterday. What you do today will determine your tomorrow. But when you get to tomorrow, you keep pressing on. You keep moving forward towards that heavenly gold in humility. Here's a wonderful promise that God gives to the humble that Lynn read earlier in our call to worship. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. I want that, don't you? I want the Lord to teach me what is right and to show me what is the way. And I know I need to humble myself to do that. Well, how do I humble myself to do those things? Well, let me give you four steps, quick starts, if you will. These are not the only four, but this is a quick jump start to how you can humble yourself before God every day. Every day, thank God for your life and who you are. Second, count your blessings, don't list your troubles, and praise God for his blessings every day. Third, confess to God daily your sins and humbly ask him for mercy, grace, and forgiveness. The fourth way you humble yourself is go before God in prayer and perhaps pray Psalm 25, verse 9. Lord, teach me to be humble to admit when I'm wrong, to forgive those I need to forgive, and not be jealous or envious of anyone else. When you humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up. That's what the Bible promises. Amen? Now, the greatest example of humility is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, verse 8, Paul talks about that humility. And here's how Jesus humbled Himself. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The greatest example of all examples of humility is Jesus. No one can top his humility, right? For what he did for you and for me. And God said, look, because Jesus humbled himself, I exalted him with the highest name above all names. And if God exalted Jesus because of his humility... You can believe the promise that God gives that he will also lift you up when you will be humble. So let's not live out the eye in our pride. Would you join with me and humble yourself before the Lord and discover the real you? Discover the eternal you, the you that God has fearfully and wonderfully made, the you that he has made unique 
and shaped and mold you according to his will. Will you do that? If you will do that, he will lift you up. If you'll humble yourself before him and he will give you a healthy pride. He will fill you with assurance and confidence and boldness and humility and strength and wisdom because of the salvation that you find in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's all stand together. Let's just stand. I hope these scriptures today have encouraged you and that you will apply them practically to your life. I'm quite confident that sometime this week, maybe even today, you will be, you will be faced with the choice of responding out of pride or humility. Uh, let's intentionally choose the choice of the strength of humility. Amen? I want to close today this lesson by offering you some words of protection against pride based on Philippians 4, verse 7. Here they are. May the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we sing this next song, if you'd like to be baptized, place membership, or would like one of our elders, Larry, to say a prayer with you, make your way to the front pews as we now sing.